In a little while, we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 24. If you want to go ahead and and find your way there, and we'll get to it in a moment. First of all, I'd like to pray. Lord God, I pray for revelation. I pray for annunciation. I pray that your scriptures would come alive to us. Lord Jesus, I always approach your words with trepidation, with a healthy fear. As I am dealing with direct quotes from you, I pray that you would give me uh, the mind of Christ, your own mind and your own words today. And, but I pray more than anything else that every one of us, including myself, would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit and that our eyes would be open to see that which you desire for us to see today. I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. I have to confess as I begin uh, dealing with this passage and, and uh, dealing w- with uh, these thoughts that uh, it's been a long time that I, since I have approached a message with, let's see if I can word this right, approached a message scared to death, <laughs> trepidation, um, because some people, somebody said, well, I'm looking forward to hearing what you got to say today. I said, so am I. <laughs> because there's so much about this passage uh, and I'm not alone. When you read commentaries on this passage that we're going to deal with today, uh, it, some people label it as the first or the second most difficult passage in the whole Bible to exegete. And here I am. But I think God has something in this passage for us. Because one of the things I want us to come out of this message with is the ability to understand the times understanding the times that we live in. It's important that we can look around us and see what's going on, in some cases see what's not going on, and understand. There, there's, a, there's a, just a little blurb in the Old Testament that's always meant a lot to me, and some of you may be familiar with this. It deals with the sons of Issachar, um, and it's some of David's mighty men, and it's listing And it just says this right in 1 Chronicles 12. It says, the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So what I want out of this message today, Lord help me, is that somehow we can in some measure understand the times and know what we should do. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. What we should do. How should we respond to the times in which we live? What are the end times? What are the end times? Are, are the, the, when did the end times start? We have to ask that question. My own personal belief is the end times are any time after now. 
uh, you know, and, and when Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 24, that began the end times. And some of the things he talked about came true fairly quickly. What are the end times? And what are the signs of Jesus coming back? Now, I can't tell you how and I can't tell you when. Anybody tells you they can tell you when, you need to run. Uh, I can't tell you any of that. I got an idea. I do know this without any question in my mind. Jesus coming back. And boy, is he, well, I'm not going to say what I saw on a T-shirt one time. But Jesus is coming back. We know that. And when he comes back, there will be a culmination and a consummation of the age. We know that. We'll deal with that in a moment. But, but what are the signs of his coming? And should we, be, should we be spending our time looking at signs, trying to determine when Jesus is coming back? I don't, I, you know, sometimes I wonder if people do that so they can start behaving at a certain point. What are the signs? Well, the disciples had the same question. They had the same ideas. Matthew 24, verse 1. Uh, if you would, wouldn't mind, stand while we read the sacred scriptures. I'm reading, again, from the English Standard Version. Jesus left the temple, which gives you the indication, idea that they were in the temple. And was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. We know from, I think, Mark's version that, that uh, this was uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew who asked this question. Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. Uh, Luke adds pestilences here in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away or stumble and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. A better rendering of that is the one who has endured to the end is saved. And the, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. You can be seated. Lord, help me. The universal question. Universal question. The disciples are coming. They're coming out of the temple area, and they're, Jesus, it said Jesus was leaving. He was walking away. And they basically said, hey, look at these 
these buildings. Now, one of the reasons they're doing this is because in the, in the last verse of chapter 23, he's saying, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. And then he says in that little soliloquy, he says, your house is become desolate. Of course, the house is the temple. Your house has become, or your temple has become desolate, indicating that it was going to be destroyed. It was going to uh, come to an end of usefulness. And to the Jew of that day, while this was Herod's temple, not the original temple, and not nearly as nice, it was still uh, there, if you'll excuse the term, the Mecca of that day for those folks. And they couldn't believe that he had just said that. And they said, well, look at these buildings. Now, we don't get a lot from Matthew here, but Mark writes it this way. Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. In other words, why would you tear this down? Why would you tear this thing down? And I'm told that, or I'm read, I hadn't been told by anybody, but I read, I think it's actually by Josephus, that these stones were not, uh, you know, little stones that Opie threw in the water or Ernest T. Bass threw the window. And if you're not an Andy Griffith show watcher, you have no idea what I just talked about. <laughs> but these were, some of these stones were 37 feet long. They were, they were huge. So they're saying, look how, and then in Luke, Luke's account of this says, while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. They're saying to him, to, to Jesus, now you're just going to forgive me here. Isn't our church building beautiful? Isn't our church building the best? Okay, now get quiet on me. Is it possible that we, the Western church, have placed all of our eggs in the basket of the ornateness of our church buildings? Isn't that a lovely church? It, you know, and by definition... Uh, you'd think there'd be a group of people standing over there. Now, I'm not from having ugly church buildings. I mean, some say ours is ugly. That's their problem. Uh, I'm, not try I'm not saying that we should neglect our church buildings. It was a lot easier when I was a house church pastor, I can tell you that. We didn't have to fool with a church building. But anyway, that's another issue for another day. The disciples, were they were... They were um, and captured by this temple. And they said, well, it's, it's beautiful. Look at the stones. Look at, man, this is great. And Jesus says, you see all these stones? Not one going to be left on top of the other. And I mean, they're going, what? What in the world is this all about? Jesus at that point was beginning to speak to them about the future. 70 A.D., the Roman army led by Titus comes through Jerusalem, destroying Jerusalem. And yes, destroying the temple. Not one stone left on another. There's reports that some of the Roman soldiers was going to and collecting some of the stones because there was gold between the two that had been melted during a fire. I mean, all kinds of things going on. But it, this, this was fulfilled in 70 A.D., torn down. And so he tells them that the temple's coming down, 
And then Peter, James, John, and Andrew say, hey, privately, he's meeting with them privately. Now, what, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? That's the universal question. That's the question everybody wants to know. That's the question everybody wanted to know then. That's the question everybody wants to know now. What, when, what are going, what's going to be the sign? What are we looking for? It's interesting that Jesus, in my opinion, offers them an odd answer. So I say to you, or you say to me, what is going to be the sign of Jesus coming back? What is going to be the sign of the end of the age? And I say to you, see that no one leads you astray. What kind of answer is that? That has nothing to do with the times and the places. See that no one leads you astray. Now, again, I, I, I'm just a simple boy from northwest Florida. But when I see the words, see that no one leads you astray, it tells me that somebody's wanting to lead me astray. You know, two and two makes four. And then he says to them, many will come and say, I am the Christ. Many will come and say, they're me. Uh, he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And when I see that, I see, on the one hand, there, are, there have been recorded, I think somebody said 40 over time, people who claimed that they were Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And there were day, people in that day who claimed that they were the Messiah. But let me just take it one step further. Even if they're not saying they're the Messiah, Jesus Christ, there's been people down through the ages, there are people today. If you just watch CNN and Fox News, thought I'd give you both sides there. You'll, you'll hear some people saying to you, I'm here to save the day. If you'll just listen to me, if you will quit thinking and do what I tell you, I'm here to save the day. In essence, they are our Messiah. Don't let people lead you into deception. I heard Derek Prince say one time that the main ingredient to be uh, overcome with deception or by deception is pride. Because when we become prideful, for one thing, we think we know at least as much as God. In some cases, we think we know more. You've heard me quote my pastor, Brother Charles Simpson, who said, we love Jesus but we don't think he's very smart because if we did, we'd be doing what he says. When we're prideful, we set ourselves up, and so we are open at that point to other voices, and we, if we don't watch it, we become deceived. And if you don't think Christian people can be deceived, you had not lived very long. And then he says, there's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars. Some say that the word there in the, in the Greek text could be translated civil wars. 
wars and rumors of wars. But it's interesting that Jesus says to them, when that happens, the end is not yet. In other words, this, the wars and rumors of wars are not, the, that doesn't mean it's the end, which means that people probably would think it's the end. I would imagine that in the 1860s, that when our country was at civil war, there was a lot of people then who thought this is it. Standing outside watching for Jesus because he's got to come back anytime. And yet, here we are in 2021. Then he, then he says there will be nations rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Famines. Earthquakes. And as I said earlier, Luke adds pestilence. There will be these things. And he said, what he says is, now when you see these things on a regular basis, you might need to perk up and pay attention. By the way, pestilence is a deadly or virulent epidemic disease like the bubonic, bubonic plague. I'll just let that sit there for a minute. And Jesus says when you see these things begin to come, this is the beginning of... Some, some of your Bibles will say the time of sorrows, but it's literally the beginning of birth pains. The New American Standard says pangs, P-A-N-G-S. We can't help it if they can't spell. <laughs> beginning of birth pains, beginning of movement, the beginning of a direction, the beginning of travail. And as, one, as that version says, I don't remember which one it is, the beginning of sorrows. I'm not here today to try to ascertain or determine, and before I'm done, you'll see why. I'm not here today to try to determine a date or even a time. I'm not here to, I'm just saying that when, and as a matter of fact, let me, I should have said this earlier. Uh, the approach I'm taking to this passage is literal. I'm not trying to see some spiritual parallel passage or parallel interpretation here. I'm just taking Jesus at his word. What he said, that's what I'm, that's what I'm believing. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not saying it's connected. I'm just saying what he said. What he said was the birth pains. What is being birthed? As these birth pains begin and we see in our time, we see a crescendo of these events that he described. We see a crescendo of earthquakes. We see in other parts of the world, we see famine. And yeah, I guess we see pestilence if it's an epidemic disease, like the bubonic plague or the Hong Kong flu or the COVID-19. We're beginning to see a crescendo. Does that mean Jesus is coming back tonight? Maybe. Most likely not, but maybe. <laughs> My father-in-law was a pastor, and he uh, every night he'd go to bed. And, of course, as he got older, that got earlier and earlier. By the time he got uh, the last 10 or 15 years of his life, we'd be sitting around. About 8 o'clock, he'd be gone. Where'd Wilson go? Well, he went to bed. Most of the time, he would tell us, before he'd get up out of his chair, and he'd say, I'll see you in the rapture tonight. He'd go to bed. 
You may not believe in the rapture. Not sure I do either. That's another topic. But the point is, a lot of people expect him to come back tonight. The fact is, we should be living our lives like he is. Whether you believe it or not. Whether you believe in a rapture or not, Jesus is coming back. He could come back tonight. What is being birthed through these birth pains that Jesus is describing? I believe that it's the ultimate and complete consummation of the kingdom of God at the end of the age. I believe that's the birth pains. I believe that's what we're, if we look at 1 Corinthians 15, we're looking for that day when Jesus presents the kingdom to the Father. And we're beginning to move in that direction. Are we there? Nope. Are we further along than we were? Yes. Could it be tonight? Yes. And he says they will... They will um, deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. I want to tell you that tribulation is a word in, the, in this text. It's a word that means pressure. And it's, it's not, it's pressure like you take an old chunk of coal that John Anderson sang about and turn it into a diamond. It's squeezing like you take grapes and stomp all over them with your nasty feet. And you make wine out of those grapes. That's the squeezing that takes place. And Jesus is saying, the end of the age, you will be squeezed and you will be pressured. But then Paul says, in Acts 14, he says, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. So that's a good thing. Now, here we are trying to preach a gospel. Well, we're not, but some are. That says everything's going to be hunky-dory all the time. You're never going to have a problem in your life. You have a problem, it's got to be the devil or you don't have enough faith. That's not how I read it. I read it. Well, I'm not going to say that. He says, enough, put some of you to death. And then he says, many will fall away. Many will stumble is a better word there. Many will stumble and betray one another and hate one another. Do y'all think that's happening today? You haven't looked at Facebook lately. Call it hate book. You, I don't even have an account, but I look at my wife sometimes and I go, why do you keep this going? Of course, she... Anyway, I can't say what she did, but she did something about it because she's watching. <laughs> but you can't post anything. People put far side cartoons on Facebook and other people get all bent out of shape. My goodness, people, far side. How many of you are not familiar with far side cartoons? Okay, don't be embarrassed. It's, got, it's sick humor. I get it. My favorite Far Side cartoon is uh, a bunch of chickens laying around in a yard, just laying on, all of them laying on the ground. 
and on the, the banner over the gate says boneless chicken farm. Well, my, one of my other ones that I like is the cows are out in the field eating, and one of them stands up on his two hind legs. He says, hey, guys, this is grass. We've been eating grass this whole time. <laughs> well, I like that one because sometimes we get a revelation. And we go, what? Some will fall away. Some will stumble. Some will betray one another. Some will hate one another. And I'm telling you, over the last year, there has been a plethora of that. And not any of us, or not many of us, let's say it that way, are exempt. And then he said, we're going to have false prophets show up. You know what you get when you have false prophets? False truth. You have truth that's not true. False truth, that's almost an oxymoron. I listened to a podcast and one of the gentlemen who used to be on there, a pastor, he's got his reward now, but he used to say, we need to embrace true truth. Well, false prophets bringing false truth, and you don't have to look very far today till you hear someone proclaiming truth that is not truth. False, it's false. Lord, help me. And then he said there'll be an increase in lawlessness. Some of your Bibles there will say iniquity. An increase in lawlessness. Lawlessness is Psalms 2. Let us cast off the fetters of God. Let us cast off the restraints from God and do our own thing. Let us cease allowing him to control us. It says they rose up against God and his anointed, capital A, lawless. There would be an increase in lawlessness. I, I dare say that you and I live in an age, we're not the only age, by the way, but we live in an age when humanity is more and more embracing lawlessness. The abandoning of God's principles the redefining of marriage, that's lawlessness. And an influx of false truth leads to an increase in lawlessness. Well, for one thing, we need to make sure before God that we surrender all so that we don't increase in lawlessness. We need to embrace truth. And he says, as a result of this, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. It's, it's, it's very easy as a human being to allow circumstances, especially difficult circumstances, to cause us to grow cold in our faith. Not that we reject God, not that we renounce Christianity or any of that, but we grow cold in our faith because of all the lawlessness. I don't know about you. Sometimes I just get so discouraged. And I used to hear old people say, now I am one. 
But I used to hear old people say, Jesus, come back. I can't take any more of this. And I, I, at the time, I thought, why are you crazy in your head? Well, now I understand that. Because you look around and you see all the lawlessness. You see all, And you know what bothers me? It's not the lost people. It's the Christian people that bothers me. I expect lost people to act like lost people. Do you? But I don't expect Christians to act like lost people. This week's devotional video, we call it the midweek video, we dealt with act being that we would act soberly. And the very definition of the word in there to act soberly is to act like, act like someone who has been saved. Act like you've been saved. That's kind of like act like somebody. And so when I see this, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sensing birth pains. I can't tell you if I'll see the fruition of this in my age or if your children or my children or my grandchildren or my grand. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that we're further along in the birth pains than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. We definitely are. He says, the one who endures, or the one who has endured to the end is saved or will be saved. Sometimes you just got to hang on. Sometimes you just got to hold on. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not want it, but sometimes you just got to hang on. A definition from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible says to hold, it means to hold one's ground in conflict, to bear up against adversity, to hold out under stress, to stand firm. I'm reading you all these because I don't want us to get the whole picture. To stand firm, to persevere under pressure, to wait calmly and courageously. It is not passive resignation to fate and mere patience, but the active, energetic resistance to defeat that allows calm and brave endurance. It's not just hanging on by the hair of your teeth or whatever the, the, the proverb says, but it's hanging on with some energy. I'm going to stand firm. Do you understand that an empty bag cannot stand up? <laughs> You've tried it. I've tried it. Stand an empty bag up. I'm going to put something in it, and then it falls down. It's because there's nothing there. There's, but fill it it's full of stuff. It'll stand up just fine. The writer of Hebrews understood this because he wrote, for ju in just a little while, the coming one, in just a little while, see, even, even at the writing of the letter of Hebrews, they were thinking this is in just a little while, and in the, the, the grand scheme of eternity, it is just a little while. The coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live, or, my, or the just will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. And then the writer concludes, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere 
uh, preserve, I'm sorry, their souls. We are those. We don't shrink back. Faced with difficulty, faced with tribulation, faced with pressure, faced with life circumstances, faced with other people acting, not acting like they're saved, faced with all of that, we hang on and we stand firm in the midst of it. Somewhere I got this definition. I don't think I have a slide. It is patient continuance in well-doing, resignation under persecutions and afflictions, holding fast the one faith, even though it may lead to the martyr's death, and this shall win the crown of eternal blessedness. In the midst of the birth pains, in the midst of our culture, our society today, in the midst of departure from the faith, in the midst of dilution of the faith, in dilution of the truth. For as we've said before, the devil in most cases is not going to come to you or to me with some gross 180-degree departure from the truth of the Scripture because we'll never fall for that. But if he can put a drop of deception in our thinking and then another drop, And if we're not careful, we have bought into a lie in the name of God. So what shall we do? What are we going to do about all this? And Jesus tells us what to do. He says in verse 14, they said, what is is the sign of the end? Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I've heard people all my life talk about when that last missionary breaks through that last bush and finds that last village somewhere on the other side of the planet and preach the gospel to that last tribe member. I don't know if it's, I don't know. It could be that. I'd like to see what happens when that happens, but I don't know. I'm not keeping score, I guess is what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is, what are we going to do in the light of Jesus painting this picture for us? What are we going to do? Well, what we're going to do is to continue to proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. Make sure you're awake. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news that there is a kingdom that has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I must go preach the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said, I've got many cities that I need to go to so I can preach the good news of the kingdom of God. What's happening? You've got a kingdom of darkness and you've got a kingdom of God. Jesus arrives and he says, I bring, I'm bringing a new kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom that finds its residence in heaven. And we're taking that kingdom as much as we can to a fallen world, to fallen people. And we're bringing that kingdom to the earth. That's the good news. And that kingdom is known by love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, that kingdom is made up of righteousness, peace, and joy. And you and I, in the midst of birth pains, we have a message. You've got a message. You don't have to have papers. You don't have to be a clergy. It's better off if you're not, actually. It's better off that you're not a quote-unquote pastor, minister, whatever. It's better off that you're just a person living your life. Because when, when I try to talk to people, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You, get, you, you got papers. Well, yeah, I got papers. That doesn't mean I got to pray over every meal. That's another topic. <laughs> people think you can't pray unless you got some papers somewhere. Gospel of the kingdom. What else should we do? He says, watch. Watch. I'll read that verse in a moment, but watch. Pay attention. Not just watch TV, but watch. Jesus said, but concerning, here's the interesting thing, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, how in the round world can I sleep at night if I've spent a year writing a book telling you the day and the hour that Jesus is coming back when he said he didn't even know? No one knows, he said the day or the hour, except God the Father. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. See, if you could pinpoint a date, if you could pinpoint an hour, that verse would be untrue. We know that the Scripture trumps our opinions. The Scripture trumps our assumptions. And so we know that Jesus is coming at an hour you do not expect. Once again, Spirit-filled Life Bible says, in a time of indifference and carelessness, the Lord will appear with startling suddenness. In a time when people are lawless, when we have grown cold, in our faith and our love to God, it's during that time that Jesus will come back with startling suddenness. So he says in Matthew 25, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch is really a word that means to just stay awake. Stay awake, saints. Stay awake to what God's doing. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And, and notice when you see deception. Now, I recognize that deception. Just watch. Stay awake. I don't mean you know, stand looking at the sky the whole time, but watch what's going on in your, in your society, in your culture, in your surroundings. Stay awake. And then he gives us a picture In verses 29 through 31, which we did not read, he gives us a picture of him coming back, and he says this, Immediately 
After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see. That's one thing I know. Jesus comes back, we're going to see. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds. Don't let that word elect bother you. You've been elected. From the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. I want to emphasize coming in power and glory. Coming in power and glory. Jesus will not come back in defeat. He will not come back and experience defeat, but he will come back in power and glory, and he will collect his saints. My summation today once again comes from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. There will be religious deception, social and political upheavals. Sound familiar? Natural calamities, disloyalty, and persecution, all of which are precursors of the end times. In the midst of the difficulties, the Lord's followers are to persevere in spreading the gospel. There's our assignment. There's our assignment that we watch the signs, we watch the world, we watch you can't watch too much CNN and Fox News till you get totally depressed, but you just watch what's going on around you. Be, be aware of what's going on in our world. And can I ask you to do one thing? When you, when you, get, when you see what's going on in the world and it torques you a little bit, please don't let your first response to be run to Facebook and tell people how mad you are said someone who does not have a Facebook page. I understand that. Same thing goes for Twitter and Instagram and other things I don't know about. I hear of a new one every day. I, I, I'm not... Lord, don't make me say something I don't mean. I'm not opposed to social media. I, I'll send you a text message. That's social enough for me. My problem is, is that we have allowed these things to become perverted and to be misused instead of connecting with friends and family. We've, it's become our soapbox, and we can anonymously, without a face, say whatever's on our mind, and we, we say things we would never say to someone's face, which means we're cowards. They done gone and meddling. What should we do? Watch. What should we do? Proclaim the good news of another kingdom. Jesus called it a new kingdom. Proclaim the good news of this kingdom and that it's righteousness, peace, and joy and that it is accessible. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except you become born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So let's turn that around. If you are born again, you can see the kingdom of God. That's what we should do. Should we spend all of our time trying to determine a time? Well, I think we've sort of settled on that. No one knows, so why waste our time? Do we think it's going to happen? Oh, yeah, he's, he's pretty descriptive here, pretty clear. Let him find us when he comes back. Let him find his people so doing. Put our hand to the plow and be working in our garden, in our particular arena of garden. Let him find us plowing in our garden when he comes back and doing what he left us to do. Can we do that? Stand with me.